Welcome back. This is part two of my conversation with Charlie Harding. If you haven't listened to part one, go back. I wonder, and I've wondered Mm. for a long time, what the strategy is, right? Because this, you know, this podcast is about why we like what we like. Mm. And some of that is strategy. And I do wonder if if you get invited to Eurovision or you qualify for Eurovision, mm. um, with that many millions of people watching you, it will be the biggest calling card that you have for your style mm. of music. You, you mm-hmm. may remember Sam Ryder's mm-hmm. Spaceman. And however mm-hmm. that did at Eurovision, um, the record sales afterwards. So I do mm. wonder how much of mm. it is about winning Eurovision and how much of it is like, if this is my first and last chance as an artist, can I get record sales and a career on the back of this? I think, yeah. Probably is very different depending on your nationality, right? Like if you are from the UK, there's a larger recorded music world that you can reach than if you're coming from Ukraine. Well, you must have heard Rosalind Snap by now. I don't think I have. Oh, please do. All right. What's the song? Snap. Sounds like a... Noah Khan. It's just it's it's just bringing back the uh, the hey ho ho hey culture of the Lumineers. <laughs> it is that music's having a, 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 a large resurgence right now. Fine. Um, I'm I'm bummed you haven't heard Snap, but um, I feel like oh, it's... I, I, I have I have heard it. It doesn't. Oh, I don't mean to be cruel to the song. It, it's not one that stood out to me. Um, like it's something I probably heard. Like I, I've definitely heard this song, but I've never yeah. been moved um, by it. I've never, I, I've never been moved to actually like research it, look it up, pay attention to it. Um, because I think it sort of falls within a certain style so strongly that I, I, I didn't see maybe how it stood out. It's well, a very pretty song. I, Rosa Lynn is from Armenia, right? And I don't know. And she did not win Eurovision. So this song is what now three years old. Uh, okay. 2022 it's a three-year-old song from Rosalind from Armenia and you know she now has I don't know how many sales Snap has done but Snap is outdone in sales Snap is outdone like a lot of Eurovision songs Charlie like oh, Snap, yeah. I mean, Snap it, it, has been it's, commercially it's, successful in a way that Eurovision yeah, songs yeah. just aren't no, so no, no, no. It's, it's, it's nearly a billion plays I mean it doesn't sound like a Eurovision song to me no it sounds like it, a Lumineers it, song now that you mentioned yeah. it yeah well well ex- except to, except to the point that I think that so often a Eurovision song, its job is not to break new musical ground. It's it's to make strong appeals to the heart, appeals to a nation, appeals to uh, each other, uh, each other, international community, uh, using uh, established musical cliches. And I don't use the word cliche derog- in any sort of derogatory no. way. I think that she is doing this style of music, the sort of Lumineers, you know, 2010s-ish sound, and she's and she's doing it very well. Uh, when, when I listen to, I'm excited to listen to more of the, the songs from your picks, yep. because many of them, to me, immediately evoke some other thing. And For I sure. don't think that's a bad thing, because pop music is so often about both being familiar, like, great warm embrace i immediately like this thing and then maybe doing it in a slightly interesting way that it provides uh, uh just enough novelty that you enjoy it well let's get to that next song and the word that comes sure. to mind is pastiche right huh. it, they're okay. not the same thing but like yeah so this is in the 
I'm calling it overproduced. Let's say a lot going on. If you don't like the word over, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Single singer songwriter DJ Bobo of Switzerland. Huh. Vampires huh. are alive from 2007. <laughs> I wanted to give uh, this... you one song, Charlie, that I just think is. Uh, it's that moment where you watch a Eurovision song. Now, a lot of these songs in the yeah. list are just middling. And I was like, I'm not going to give yeah. Charlie some middling songs. This is one of those songs that you watch Eurovision and then you're like, <laughs> you know, you have to pick your jaw up off the ground because you, in fact, when you, can I ask you, when was it, what year did you first watch Eurovision? What was this, What's this it, Hague? That, when you went to the Hague, what year did you watch it? And as a musician, did you have that moment? Cause you're not only in an international group, but you're also like a musician. So how shocking was yeah. that for you? What, what year? Tell me the year. I'm, I, I have to know. Uh, can I, let me just fact check myself. Please, yeah, yeah. It's so much more recent than I had thought. I was just trying, I was originally thinking just based on my, I was thinking about when I was employed by this last organization, but it was, wasn't, it was in 2018. I cannot believe it. I have only been listening to Eurovision since 2018. That is wild. Wow. I, I was like, surely I'd heard of Eurovision. I think listeners had asked us to cover Eurovision. I, I couldn't honestly tell you factually whether or not we, we, we've spoken about it on the podcast before 2018, but it wasn't until 2018 where I was like, oh, I love Eurovision. I'm going to start watching it every single year. Wow, I can't believe it's been... That's so little time. People shouldn't listen to any of my opinions. I don't know anything about this. I'm I'm such a well. Novice. Eurovision has been going since what 1956. Now it was based on San was Remo. I thought it was in these 40s. No. No, uh, no, because Europe would have been going through war in the 40s. Yeah, like it's I a post war. Oh, it it's a late... post World War II. Yeah. 1951. Um, 1951. But held annually since 1956. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, you're right. Yeah. So the San Remo Music Festival held in Italy since 1951. And then, and then, yeah, started yeah. in 1956. I, for some reason, I thought it was like 1949 was like the founding in some way, but I, I don't I, think Europe I, had I resources for music for like, you know, a mass music festival. Music <laughs> is, music was, is always important in all times, even in this moments of despair. Okay. So but, 2018. Okay. Yeah. So that sounds like Salvador Sobral might have won. But what did you think? So, well, parentheses. So Eurovision fans cover all generations. Don't worry about it. You know, sure. there Thank are you. people that remember all the way back to what the fifties, the sixties with their parents. So, and there's X number of songs every year. It's nearly impossible to be a good, a good Eurovision fan air quotes, because there's so <laughs> okay. many songs. Okay. There's the yeah, qualifiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you watch those? You know, do you watch the qualifiers yeah. as well? It can be yeah, all, yeah. all, it can just suck your so, whole so life in. So I remember in 2018, the winner was Toy by Netta from <gasps> Israel, which is a very strange choice. I mean, I, I was, I was, um, I did, I, I at first was, didn't understand how Israel could be part of Eurovision. I later learned Israel. That, you know, Australia yeah. and, yeah, uh, yeah. and Canada. Russia, also. I was just yeah. like, how does it, oh wait, how does this all work? Okay. So I got over that. You know, the, the tough thing, we actually talked to Netta on the podcast and she's good. She's of, amazing. She's. Oh, yeah. Oh, and her good, other art is like really interesting. Like all of her oh, other it, music I mean, is like, OK, her, her work is provocative. The song is, you know, kind of a novelty song. It's I mean, obviously the song is called Toy and <laughs> a novelty uh, with, with with some, you know, <laughs> unsubtle metaphor. But. 
and, and I remember she wowed people because she has a sort of way of looping and building her song live or something yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. was was sort of a gimmick. Here, here's my big issue. Chicken though. dance also a gimmick. Yeah, Ch- chicken dance. Right, exactly. Eurovision does have a challenge of presenting culture, and I think has a, and I imagine Europe just has a very different um, uh, culture around the ideas of cultural appropriation. I also, parentheses for another pod- podcast, another episode, and then we will get to DJ Bobo because, like, yeah. Oh, great. Eurovision for me is like there's stuff in the cultural ether, right? A lot of stuff, fashion, tastes. Eurovision for me tends to be sometimes two or three years behind. Like when I watch Eurovision 1985, it looks more like 1981, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think, and and that can be for any number of, you know, could be against costuming, staging, songwriting, the whole bit. So yeah, the the contest isn't meant to represent, I'm sorry to, to evoke this idea of high culture and low culture, but uh, maybe faster, slow culture. And it's not for the Vogue audience. It's for everybody. It's for the H&M audience. Well, is it though? Because you said in your ABBA episode, audiences love sentimentalism and critics hate it. <laughs> Remember yes. that half of the Eurovision votes are given by national juries. So only mm-hmm, half of Eurovision mm-hmm. is decided by televote, you know, texting vote. Are those national juries, uh, what, what kind of critics are they? Are they working art critics or are they, they sort of unestablished? This is how much I don't know about Eurovision. Is it, is it, is it a cadre of people that critique Eurovision specifically? Because Eurovision kind of is its own Oh, culture. no, 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 no. The juries are not specifically Eurovision critics. They are, by and large, or, or, experts yeah. in their field, in, 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 in music industry, in their field, in their countries. I mean, yeah, but the difference between an A&R at a record label and a critic at a newspaper, these two groups look at music very differently. And so it's, it seems uh, um, if they're going to employ working industry professionals, you get uh, working industry professionals will result in outcomes more akin in the United States to uh, the Recording Academy and the Grammys. Uh, then you would uh, sort of end a year lists best of by music critics, which do do are not in sync, right? Those are those are very different kinds of of music and how music is discussed by formal critics versus by industry professionals. Um, they're they're often at loggerheads. Well, long story short, there's also vote trading, of course, between the juries. This is the best. This is the best part about Eurovision is the international politics of it all. I, I told you I was watching in 2018 in The Hague, like the center <laughs> of, of, of 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 international happenings. I I love I love the 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 politics of it all. Yeah, but I think by and large, there's there are some Eurovision songs that just will, you know, if you take all the juries combined, they get better. Votes and they're artsy. I would call them artsy songs. But let's move to sure, sure, uh, sure. Artsy songs tend to do better. You said DJ Bobo, vampires are alive. Yeah. How do you feel <laughs> about this song? You can make it quick. I won't. I won't. It I don't did not like qualify it. for I, the I, final. I, oh, I mean, it, uh, okay. It anticipates the work of Lady Gaga in this sort of gothic pop kind of sound. It has a pretty poor vocal performance. Um, it rips off the lyric Forever Young by Alphaville. Almost sounds like and it'll be Forever Young. A lot of Alphaville in Eurovision, just fun fact. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. I found it to be extremely theatrical. 
Uh, it would make a great musical, perhaps, but it's not a good pop song. <laughs> it, it, uh, and again, you know, what makes pop is really different in Europe. Uh, Europe yeah. pop is, is such a sort of different category that doesn't exist. Uh, it's sort of a world like, of campiness that we don't get as much of outside of maybe Megan Trainor in the United States. Ooh, very uh, campy, or, or, yeah. Or, or, or obviously there's there's a lot of campiness in a lot of like queer uh, uh, club music. Uh, big Eurovision, of, big Eurovision, you know, demographic. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and by the way, I, I love campiness. I think camp music is is, is wonderful. Um, I, I simply say that we don't hear a lot of it maybe on like a you know, mainstream pop FM radio. You know? And so I, I, I don't think that this would succeed um, in top 40 in the U.S. Not for me. When I hear this song, I hear a Franken song. You know, there's kind of like a lot of pieces <laughs> yeah. really intentionally being stuck together into a you know i wouldn't call it seamless is this is this song no it's not just the vocals the construction of this song yeah a lot of eurovision songs are awkwardly constructed i think because the song needs to accomplish so much in such a short amount of time we often see large leaps in production in ways that are maybe less elegant and massaged uh, than uh, yeah. a pop song not designed for Eurovision. I mean, a, a, another example off of uh, your pick of songs was uh, Heroes from 2015. Oh, let's talk uh, about that. So I was intrigued by the sort of country popness of it all that then sort of explodes into Euro pop disco. It's This is one that has some very uh, uh, fast, uh, unsubtle changes. Now that I recognize it, though, it like it feels within it, it falls within a a, a larger musical tradition. Uh, certainly, Avicii uh, was known for mixing the the world of of EDM and and country music, or even Rednecks and Cotton Eye Joe, another oh, Swede. Joe. <laughs> you know, it, it is part of this this tradition of blending these these two sounds. This is one though that I I have trouble with. Because, you know, country music is, uh, is so concerned about authenticity. Um, I, I think a sort of a nostalgia for a certain authenticity, which is not real. Right. Um, uh, that, that I should say is manufactured, just yes. like all of yeah, pop yeah. culture. Well, we just finished is. Christmas, like, which is a nostalgia yeah. for things that probably didn't. Yeah. It's a nostalgia for a fake past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the, the song Heroes... Uh, uses the sound and imagery of the Western cowboy to evoke heroism. This is a style of song in Eurovision that uh, I'm not particularly turned on by the sort of the empty anthem that doesn't Mm -hmm. have any particular meaning. It's just like, we are going to overcome. We will achieve. I am a hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 Pairing that with the cowboy for me. It's the way I feel about a lot of Imagine Dragons songs, just for the record, <laughs> but okay. Sure, sure, sure. For me, when you pair that with the American cowboy, th- that feels so tied to the narrative of 19th century colonialism and manifest destiny. The sort of like, we're going to overcome and take over the West, and we you know we we are going to be the hero. And using the twang and the sort of cowboy imagery of the the gun and living forever, it, it's just again it, it it's connected, I think, unintentionally to a larger history, which is much darker, which is the the genocide of uh, of Native American people in the United States. 
did you get the country bit from the actual song or just from the staging? Oh, from the sound. Oh, very much from the sound of the song. We have slide guitar. We have an artificial twang in his voice. Uh, The lyrics. uh, What if I'm the only hero left? You better fire off your gun once and forever. The the imagery, the sound, uh, the style of singing are all uh, very influenced by the Nashville sound. Which is a sound that I actually really like, by the way. Like, I, I really love country music, but the way that it's deployed, I think is, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's particularly successful and has this unfortunate negative connection to me. Okay. Uh, without the lyrics, is this a successful pop song? It's know, so just... weird. I mean, again, I think kind of like Cotton Eye Joe, uh, it's, it's by one By the way, the first, these... the first cassette tape yeah. my husband ever bought was Cotton Eye Joe, and he's British. Wow. Wow. Okay. You've, you've I, come I up with a chestnut okay. there. I, I hope everything is going okay between the two of you. Uh, no, 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 no shade. You people should buy whatever they want. Uh, I mean, he was probably 10, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. All right. we, just... we, 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 this is forgivable. Uh, <laughs> but this, this is a song for me which, which goes through such radical musical stylistic change that I, I get sort of lost and confused. It doesn't feel, because it's aiming for an authentic anthem vibe, the maximalist approach of using these multiple genres and mashing them together doesn't achieve what Waterloo does for me. Waterloo is a bizarre, funny pop song about a broken heart using the metaphor of Waterloo. This is trying to be something bigger than it, than it is. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that the, for me, that, that sudden shift from a country slide guitar into the sort of Euro pop dance thing. It's, 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 I don't, I don't think it works particularly well. We have two more songs to cover. And I just wanted to say culturally, if it, if it helps you, because you, um, I didn't know that you're like a, you said Hague and I'm a political science person. Yeah. And uh, so clearly my dream is to see Eurovision in the Hague. So thank you for Uh, having realized my dream. (laughs) I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll go with you when it happens. It's like the United Nations, right? But fun. Yeah, oh, the, the, it is the low stakes UN. No, it's, it's the no. I mean, it's, you think the, it's, you think no it's low stakes. stakes. <laughs> no, I, I mean low stakes only in like ideally, it's not going to cause international conflict if things go wrong. I mean, that is true. Cultural yeah, conflict, true. but not not real yeah. um, violence. Look, I'm from Colorado. The dream of the West is that the individual can achieve what they want. Right? That they sure. that you are. It is like some man versus man. Robert Redford, man versus yeah. self. The self-made yeah. man can only exist outside of that, outside of that kind of society, that side of that kind of classism. Um, you know, you can self-actualize in a way that you can't elsewhere. And so from mm-hmm. that point of view, I, I think mm-hmm. maybe as a Coloradan who's lived in Europe, that's <laughs> that's like the Oh, I love this. This is like the vision that I get. This is the yeah. ooh, it's not the cowboys and Indians. Mm. It's the yeah. Single man on horse, like yep, yep. putting up a homestead right. or whatever else. Right. I mean, I, I, I feel like a, if you know, I the unproblematic from, Charlie, like yeah, the unproblematic. Yeah, if, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Like I, if I were to disentangle my own criticism, it's like the imagery of the cowboy has gone through so many permutations that it does not literally in any way mean its original thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, right. There's so many visions of the cowboy. Right. I, I think about like um, 
Oh, shoot. What is his name? The Marlboro Man. Clint Eastwood. Oh. Uh, Gene Autry. <laughs> no. Gene Autry. Hank Williams. Orville Peck. Wow! <laughs> Do you know Orville Peck? Yes, I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah. Yes. Or, or it, who, who is the opposite of everything that you just said, right? He's, he's the opposite of the Marlboro Man. He is a, a queer masked con- uh, cowboy singer. He wears a... Uh, uh, you know, bedazzled, beautiful cowboy hat and boots, uh, but his face is always covered in uh, yes. a, a leather mask. Uh, what I don't know what the proper term is for the sort of uh, frilly. Uh, yeah, for for people, it's it's a bit Sheldon Riley for for Eurovision fans. But yes, we have had yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and my understanding, I actually did a a great story with the um with the with the music critic. Uh, Chris Melanfi, who who did a fabulous book on Lil Nas X's Old Town Road, and he talked about the the creation of that cowboy imagery, the nudie suit, the sort of you know over the top, bedazzled, flamboyant uh, cowboy imagery that we might associate with a lot of nineteen seventies uh, yeah. stars that Orville Peck is drawing from, and that imagery actually came from a Ukrainian designer using uh, <laughs> using designs and patterns. Uh, <laughs> from, from their heritage and so uh which is to say yes the cowboy is this imagined created imagery that can evoke so many different things from queer acceptance to uh selling tobacco uh to right, like, uh, american colonialism it can it, it's all of these things and so I, I, perhaps my 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 read of this song is is too strong but that's that's just what no, I'm like when i watch the I village people it. like when i watch the village people uh, right. i know yep. that that's not like right. an they're trying to say something about masculinity. It's not like a literal version of a cop and a literal version of a, what are the other construction worker? I've forgotten all of them, but yes. <laughs> right, right, right. And, 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 but again, I don't know. I just, I don't like empty anthems. I, I, it's, it's one of, you know, when I was saying like, I don't have hard and fast rules about what makes good and bad music. I think about like, is the song achieving what it's setting out to achieve? And maybe maybe I have found one of my own biases that like songs which don't have so anthemic songs that which have no particular meaning or sort of tie to they have no specificity oh, feel I really would, empty and boring to me not only can they feel empty they can also feel well there's like it goes there's a for me there's like a slider bar and it goes from empty to like patronizing somewhere so there's like the yes, empty anthems yes, yes. there's quite a there's quite a few female anthems now that you really have to do well if you're gonna yeah there's like the generic general eurovision anthem like all of us together peace peace love love there's sure. the feminine anthem that's kind of like very generic and not really specific enough to be impactful um and then somewhere there's right. like the statement on uh, world events, you know, like soldier, yep. like the Ukrainian war. And that's very difficult. And, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the eighties, like we are the world or Phil Collins, like, uh, totally. these like, are songs which are very hard to do. Well, like if you want to write a female empowerment anthem, you have to, it has to be as good as man. I feel like a woman by Shania Twain. If you it, talking about like current events, I actually thought an, a beautiful song about current events. <laughs> it's funny to quote this one, but was 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 Taylor Swift? Uh, her song "Peace" was this really heart wrenching, sort of buried deep, deep deep track in the folklore Evermore era uh, during the pandemic, where she compares the lived experience of healthcare workers at the beginning of the pandemic to her grandfather's experience of entering Europe in World War II. And oh, the, that's beautiful. It is a quiet, 
and terrifying song at the same time. Like the, the the music and the performance captures the feeling of the terror of those pair of that paired imagery. You can write songs that are big and anthemic. I think that they're actually some of the hardest songs to write without being you know, maybe we need to go back to this issue of committee songs that which feel like they are <laughs> overly designed to fit every every lived experience. You know, it's songs like we just all want to be rock stars. And maybe that song's actually OK, uh, because it, it actually speaks maybe because it because it speaks to a, a lived experience. But I, I'm all for big ballads and anthemic music. But if you're trying to say something meaningful, but you're saying nothing at all try writing a different song like with maybe the exception of of anthemic ballads like i think there are a potential infinite number of songs which are i feel really hurt my heart is broken and i'm going to scream out into the void and you actually don't need to use specific lyrics because everyone knows that feeling but you can't just be like we all need peace in the world it's too vague you have to touch people where they're at and the thing they know. And I, though we all want peace in the world, I, it's the the tough thing. The reason why we have institutions like Eurovision and the United Nations is that hopefully if we are lucky to live in a, a place of peace, we often don't think about peace except for the contrast of war and what we read in the newspapers. And we are in a period of, you know, a lot of war that's happening around the world. Yeah. But, tell me about it. Last year's Eurovision, you know, Ukraine, Russia, and this year we'll have Israel yeah, at your, like, yeah. There, so there's a there's there's potential for some very powerful songs uh, about th- these conflicts, and it makes the cheap anthemic songs even worse, right? Like you gotta be really careful for when you try to deploy saying something meaningful. Last two songs uh, in it. the many contributors, but a winner, 2013, Emily DeForest, Denmark, only teardrops. What did you think mm-hmm. about only teardrops? Well, I think this is on the other side of the uh, of the hero's coin. This is an anthemic song. It's very <laughs> it's very much in the world of Celine Dion. Okay. It has the My Heart Will Go On Titanic Piccolo. It has military <laughs> style. Piccolo. What you just said was a very big small thing. <laughs> but okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> it has military type drums mm. uh classic and, in eurovision military style yeah. drums uh so uh, here we are we are using the imagery of war these are war instruments um we think about you know a song like yankee doodle marching into war with the with the piccolo playing with the drums in the background uh and yet uh here we have a broken heart and i i, I think this is a completely fine um broken heart song me personally prefer broken heart songs that maybe earn their feeling of heartbreak with a little more nuance, but I don't think Eurovision has a lot of room for nuance. You kind of just have to break in, bust through the door. My heart is broken and the drums are going and the piccolo's flying. And, 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 and that is how Eurovision works. So, um, yeah, again, because we don't speak, because we don't speak a common language. I think the music has to do the work rather than the lyrics. Well, also, do you in a lot of the qualifying rounds, you don't even get to play the full song, right? You're often playing like a minute and a half of your song. No, no, I mean, not the songs anymore. Feel no. short, oftentimes. They're three minutes. That's it. Sometimes they feel very long, Charlie. That three minutes can either seem incredibly <laughs> short or incredibly long. Yeah, like the perception of time oh, okay. in Eurovision is a very. Uh... I I figured out the problem. 
if you are writing a slow ballad, three minutes means you don't get enough time to work through all your sections of a song. Like you don't, if you're doing, if you're playing a fast song, you can do verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. But if you're doing a big Celine Dion style ballad, that song at a slower tempo might need to stretch out to four or five minutes. And I think oftentimes with these styles of songs, the three minute mark actually doesn't serve them well. And we often have to drop something, some sort of necessary moment of building tension. For Eurovision fans, um, you know, the the er anthem is Conchita's Rise Like a Phoenix. The heartbreak song is Rise Like a Phoenix. I don't know if you remember Conchita's Rise Like a Phoenix. Don't worry about it. But it is basically yeah. a James Bond song. It's like an orchest- orchestral yeah. James Bond song. Yeah. Can you do that kind of song in three minutes, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, certainly Shirley Bassett did. Like, the reason why the whole James Bond style thing works is because of one song. Like, I did a really fun, one of my favorite stories I've ever done was reporting on the music of James Bond and how um, Diamonds Are Forever is basically the beginning of every Bond song is basically Diamonds Forever plus the main Bond theme blended together in some permutation. And they're all cinematic and they're all over the top. They're almost like Eurovision in that way. Um, So, yes, you can pull this off. Again, it's just like when I am in that actual emotional state, of I can only experience teardrops. I guess I feel lucky enough to be, to have a certain form of mental fortitude or just call it like I grew up in New England and have trouble experiencing emotions. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, That like my emotions, (laughs) I'm not like just walking down the street and then all of a sudden go bam, only teardrops. It's usually, I don't know, it's, it, 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 that feeling doesn't bust through the door for me. It's usually- Move to Italy. Move to Italy for a few years. <laughs> Tap into that part of yourself. It probably, I probably would have a lot to gain. And so maybe this song has more to teach me than I realize. Excellent. Last one. Um, I had to ask you because I had to ask. Uh, mostly okay. because, you know, the guests on this podcast, I, I don't know if they're Eurovision fans necessarily. And because mm-hmm. you know lots and lots about pop, it seemed like a missed opportunity not to discuss Celine Dion, 1988. Uh, this is in the mm. many contributors category. A lot of a lot of cooks, you know, cooked this up. Ne partez sans moi. How do uh, you feel about this song? Wow. Vintage Celine, great Celine. I don't know. Do you even like Celine? What Celine? a powerful song. Celine Dion is a really important artist for me. Um, in fact, much of this conversation that we're having now can be, uh, I think, even uh, it is reflected extremely well in this book called Let's Talk About Love, A Journey to the End of Taste by Carl Wilson. He's Slate's music critic. And um, it, it operates, it's part of the 33 and a third series, which covers whole albums. So he's covering uh, Celine Dion's 1999 album, Let's Talk About Love. And it begins as a snarky music critic review saying, Ugh, this music is overly sentimental. It's over the top. It's overproduced. Once uh, again, France getting slagged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't mean France as the country because this was not a French uh, entry, but you know, France is a, French is a language. Let's say that. Sure, surely, yes. Uh, and 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 uh, and and I learned so much actually about French Canadian culture through this book and the way in which the the, the lens of class operates in, in, in Canada, um, uh, often against uh, French Canadian people. This book takes a wild turn and says, "Wait a minute." 
if this is one of the most commercially successful albums of all time and people uh, over throughout the world adore Celine Dion, how is it I, as a music critic, have gotten this so wrong? And it's called A Journey to the End of Taste because he uses a lot of uh, the world of um, sociology and philosophy to unwind how a taste is created, what it means, how it operates in, in popular culture. And, and then by the end of the book, re-reviews, let's talk about love from a very different perspective. And, and th- this book really changed the way that I think about and listen to pop music, especially around issues of... Uh, feeling things are overly sentimental or overexpressive. Again, this might just be my my New England background, uh, but I, I, I at a point was allergic to sentimentalism, and and uh, and I think I've come to realize that it's uh, an important part of the human experience. Celine Dion is really good at milking exactly that feeling. Uh, th- this song, Ne Partez Pas, w- w- feels so different from your vision of the present, uh, both both because. It's such a strong '80s sort of feel. Uh, the The production feels very akin to Bonnie Tyler's "Holding Out for a Hero," uh, which is a very actually Anthems. very popular song at the moment. Yeah, yeah, very anthemic and um, also quite ABBA. And yet, the performance is so restrained. You know, it just begins. She's completely still on the stage. She has this way of singing almost through pursed lips at times before she sort of like really enunciates and goes over the top. And it's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's funny. It actually starts quite subtle and her performance builds with small hand gestures, but there's basically no, there's no, there's no real choreo. There's no background dancers. There's very little imagery. There's some very eighties lighting to it all. And a very eighties hairdo hair. But yeah. it's, it's all about her performance. And if you, don't believe that Celine Dion is a great singer. Again, you're, you you have problems as a human, I think. She is immensely expressive and has one of the most powerful voices in the world of music. So I was quite moved by this song. I think that it shows that Eurovision is constantly a reflection of where culture is at. And uh, it, it felt so different in the 80s from where it is today, which is very much about the spectacle, which is reflective of what we see in, I think, all of popular culture the imagery that we see on social apps, the uh, the expectations of what we want a pop star to do when they are on tour. It needs to be an over-the-top display of spectacle, not just a performance of songs. And so, Well, of uh, course, there's no monoculture. You have to get eyeballs in somehow, right? An ever-diminishing surely. number of eyeballs. I don't know yeah. what Celine would have to do today to... I don't know what Naparte Pa would have to look like today to get that done. I'm reading this great book right now called Major Labels, A History of Popular Music and Seven Genres by uh, uh, Caliphus Senna, uh, the New Yorker uh, pop critic. And he talks about how um, one of the greatest challenges for pop music today is being relevant in a world where what's happening on social media might simply be more scintillating. Yeah. Like he particularly talks about the world of rap and hip hop, which so depend on I mean, storytelling, lyrical authenticity, uh, and certainly sensationalism as well. And and he sort of asked this question, can rap today be as captivating as the thing which is right in front of you on your screen? And uh, uh, that's that's the thing that I think every artist is is, is trying to contend with. How, how, how do you compete with things that are, uh, you know, drawing your attention elsewhere? And uh, anyways, I think Celine still on a stage for whatever reason it still captivates me 
Thank you so much for having this conversation. Oh, what a joy. I loved it. Yeah, no, no, no. I like, oh, that was amazing. Um, do you have anything to plug, Charlie? Oh, just come check out the podcast, Which Dumb Pop. We talk about popular music every single day. It's the most fun thing. Well, not every single day. We do it once a week on Tuesdays. And my co-host is a musicologist. My producer is one of the best DJs I know. And so we we listen to a very broad uh, set of popular music and try to understand how it's made and what it means. So check out oh, Switched on Pop. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts. For sure. Binge it. That's nearly it for Eurovision Song Context. Except I have so many plugs. Don't worry, there are links to everything in the podcast description or show page. The first, of course, is the splendid Switched on Pop podcast especially the episode Why ABBA Just Hits Different. My conversation with Charlie got me thinking of how culture enters our world, how it travels, and how it means different things to different people. I suggested that he listen to a podcast called Articles of Interest, and I was shocked not shocked to find out his friend Avery Truffleman produces it. So I highly suggest Articles of Interest, especially the episodes on how preppy fashion was inflected through hip-hop. I also reflected on Charlie's reaction to the 1995 song Cotton-Eyed Joe by Rednecks. Um, Because the audience for this podcast is European, I should have noted that this is an American folk classic that many Americans know by heart or by various other artists. Since I recorded my episode, I've talked to other Brits who love the Rednecks version of this song. It's the only version they know. I am told it was a staple of middle school dances in the United Kingdom, played right alongside with Brimful of Asha and Ward Up. In 1995, it was a number one hit in Norway for 15 weeks and on the UK singles chart for three weeks. This is a Eurovision podcast. So I've tried to think of other European folk songs that have been stretched to their conceivable breaking points. The Irish folk classic, I'll Tell Me Ma, comes to mind. If you can think of stretched folk in Eurovision, please drop me an email. I'm also plugging Don Norman's book, Emotional Design. I paraphrased his ideas in this podcast, so sorry, Don Norman, but it is a very good read. Also in the show notes is a link to the jury rules. Uh, Juries must be five members of the music industry, singer, DJ, composer, lyricist, or producer, can't work for the broadcaster, can't vote for their own country, and can't have voted in the last two years. Also, also in the show notes are some fun facts about Waterloo and my attempt to write a Waterloo-style preamble explaining to listeners the metaphor of rising like a phoenix. If you want to try your hand at writing a Eurovision metaphor explanation preamble for your favorite ESC song, drop me a line. That's it for Eurovision Song Context for the moment. We release an episode on the 12th of every month, the Doozith. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice. You can find show notes in the description of this episode and on our website, at eurovisionsongcontext.fireside.fm. 
I'm also on Twitter at ESC Context if you want to say hi. Our music is Buckeye Bonsai by Vans in Japan. Mm-hmm.